Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Rockin' Raspberry Robin, Microsoft Link's Raspberry Robin worm to clop ransomware attacks. Next up, here we Twilio again. Twilio discloses an additional hack from June. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 137, recorded on October 31st, 2022, on, you know, it's on Halloween here on recording day, so things might get a little bit weird. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, feeling gourd like I should, LaBelle, with me co-host Ian, <laughs> Halloween dose security updates, Campbell, and last but not least, Daniel S. Pumpkins Schwabe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank hey there. You. Once again, happy to be here. Very happy to have you both on this special Halloween. Everybody will be recovering from uh, the sugar, the post-sugar high, the sugar downer that occurs within, you know, 24 to 48 hours after the event itself, depending on your inventory after, after the kiddos come. Yeah, around here, they'll come home with like five pounds of candy. It'll last for the rest of the year, of course, if you want <laughs> year-old candy, if that's your thing. But it happens. Mm. You know, it's like a fine wine, right? Like a Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup is better with time. Uh, agree to disagree. <laughs> you, do you look at it and say, hmm, rather than like lots of sun that year, it's like, oh, man, plastic was really cheap that year. Or something oh, like what that. vintage is this here peanut butter cup? <laughs> I'm going to start asking myself Charleston that question. true to Charleston grind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do Okay, this is potentially a silly question, but has anybody... What is, a, what is fermented chocolate? Is that a thing? Is that a liqueur? Is that anything other than disgusting? I don't know. I don't know that chocolate by itself can ferment, but whatever you mix it with certainly can, and it mm. doesn't really sound appealing. Mm. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's great to have both of you on. We're going to do our normal-style podcast today. Two articles we're going to discuss, of course, followed by a fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. The first one on the docket is a Rockin' Raspberry Robin. So Microsoft says a threat group tracked as Dev0950 used CLOP ransomware to encrypt the network of a victim previously infected with a Raspberry Robin worm. Say that. <laughs> I can't say that very quickly. So Ian, I'm, I'm going to start with you here. We're going to talk through this. And, you know, I'm assuming CLOP is short for Cyclops as it is Halloween. But for our listeners, can you give us some more details on what CLOP ransomware is outside of that potential... Cyclop reference. Sure. It's uh, actually the first half of the endearing childhood game I spent many hours playing called Clops and Robbers. Uh, but no, more seriously, <laughs> Clop is a variant. Thank you for the laugh. I, I appreciate the charity there. Uh, it was sincere. Clop no, it was sincere. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Klopp's a variant of an earlier ransomware family that's operated by a Russian-speaking group, usually in a ransomware-as-a-service setting, where the software is rented to affiliates that actually do the infecting. Uh, it's generally associated with financially motivated actors and gained its name from its behavior. Files encrypted by Klopp ransomware and held for ransom gained the .clop file extension. So someone was creative in that naming. Uh, it's been used as a final stage payload after initial compromise, asset and configuration discovery, and in many cases, data exfiltration for dual or uh, triple, or even I'm hearing now, quadruple extortion uh, schemes. Uh, it's pretty darn efficient. And according to some analysis, Klopp and the gang behind it have single-handedly driven ransom demand payment uh, amounts upward. Holy Klopp. That's, that's uh, a lot there. Uh, uh. Thank you, Ian, in return for the, <laughs> for the charity laugh. Um, wow, that's, that's interesting. So quadruple extortion themes, schemes. That's, uh, that's a lot of extortion extortion all the way down yeah. that, it just makes me think of uh oh what's his name um mitch hedberg and he talks about refried beans and he's like have we ever just tried fried beans do we actually need to refry them like could we skip a step here like when we get to quadruple extortion it, the law of diminishing returns has to hit at a certain point like there cannot be infinite extortion right <laughs> like when so does it start becoming more effort than it's worth <laughs> Quadruple is a new one to me. Um, triple was fairly new. Um, but uh, all the way up to quadruple is you've got the ransomware, you've got the extortion for data release, and triple and quadruple are when you go after both uh, customers and executives of the company that you've compromised and uh, threaten to extort them as well. Oh. Next up, recursive extortion. Oh, gosh. Or maybe Schrodinger's extortion. You don't know if the file inside the box is crypted or not. The files are inside the computer. Isn't recursive extortion just employment? Granted, I say this with my boss on the other end. <laughs> oh, gosh. So... Ian, what about Raspberry Robin? How does that worm spread? And you know, where have we seen it before? So Raspberry Robin is a first stage malware that infects systems via physical USB drives and worms from there. It's Windows only and uses a, a couple Microsoft tools to bypass user account control and other protections to gain and maintain its foothold on a system. So it can then drop a different, more advanced payload or worm around or uh, um, drop clop or other ransomware. When it was first reported by uh, Red Canary earlier this year, Raspberry Robin had established an interesting grasp on systems, but didn't seem to do much else. Unfortunately, that's progressed. Microsoft Security has observed Raspberry Robin as a more wide-sweeping operation than it originally appeared, um, intended to establish initial compromise on systems and at institutions. So what, micro, what Microsoft saw in a larger uh, perspective suggests that Raspberry Robin is becoming popular with what are called initial access brokers, malicious actors that compromise systems or networks and then sell that access to other bad guys 
who then push further in in order to accomplish their own goals. Uh, often, but not always, uh, ransomware deployment. So how does CLOP collaborate? Uh, that doesn't work as well as I wanted to, but you get what I, what I was trying there. Uh, but how does CLOP work with Raspberry Robin? How does CLOP work with the Raspberry Robin worm? And <laughs> that deserves a slow clap. What does... Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm getting cloppered. Um so <laughs> what does what is the clop uh which is not something you want to catch and raspberry robin worm what what does it mean when they're being used together and does that suggest anything? Well, other than the burning sensation, um the article <laughs> we're looking at here talks about a specific threat group called Dev0950 and how they're using both CLOP and Raspberry Robin. Microsoft did a nice deep dive on uh, uh, both behavior analysis and mitigation guidance, and some uh, indicators of compromise to be on the lookout for. Uh, Devo 950 is either using Raspberry Robin as its vector of initial access, or they've successfully partnered with an initial access broker fond of Raspberry Robin themselves. So the first stage starts there. Post-compromise activity involves dropping Cobalt Strike Beacon on systems uh, to get some enhanced functionality and easier lateral movement across uh, the network. Once the actors decided that they've spread far enough, the third stage looks to be a CLOP ransomware uh, payload. It's frankly an interesting mashup. It may be that whoever's putting all this together is only really responsible for the post-compromise pre-ransomware activity. So they farm out the access by paying an, an initial access broker. They exploit that access. Then they use an easy button ransomware as a service solution. So the actor directly responsible may be living the high life and putting in banker's hours at most, content with losing a little profit to partners for a bunch of easy scores. Uh, once those kind of partnerships get in a groove, the efficiency can be breathtaking along with the profits. Now, uh, to be clear, that's a bit of speculation. It could be one group doing all of that, but it's interesting to see the outsourcing. Interesting. Huh. If it really was just one group, they'd really have the pick of the clop. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> that one grew on me quick. The, <laughs> the clop that gives on, keeps on giving. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Well, <laughs> Ian, what do we know about the cybercrime group that's linked to these attacks and with all of this in mind? Well, thanks to re deep reporting from Ted Kloppel, uh, no, actually Microsoft again, <laughs> um, as well as a bunch of proof point research, uh, Devo 950, the, the threat group we're uh, talking about specifically here, they overlap with FIN11 and TA505, and I could spend the next 10 minutes uh, talking about the different names for uh, the same or overlapping groups. Uh, they overlap, but that's not to say that they're all the same or even necessarily subsets within a larger organized set. The interconnections between these groups aren't often super clear. Uh, one of the interesting things to note is that they've all had more history with email-based attacks like phishing rather than a USB spread attack like Raspberry Robin. 
Devo 950 and Fin 11 in particular have been known to outsource work when it suits their uh, purposes. Would you say those groups overclop? <laughs> All right, sure. Let me hang in. Dead air. Why did you? Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to work in stop, clop, and, and roll. Um, oh, that's to, a good one. To bring that in. Um, but the stop, clop part is probably the most important thing for defenders to take away from the episode. Clop, clop. Who is there? Ransomware. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, the the final question I really have for you, Ian, here before we talk about maybe what defenders should look out for and, and how bad this is on our hoodie rating scale. So this article mentions that about 3,000 or nearly 3,000 devices and almost 1,000 organizations have seen at least one Raspberry Robin payload in the last 30 days. What are organizations doing or what should they do, if not already, to mitigate these attacks other than to stop, clop, and roll? So endpoint detection is a no-brainer here, but along with that comes the need to ensure that the responsible team is seeing and responding to the alerts appropriately. We're all human, we all get fatigued, and wormed behavior like Raspberry Robin can worsen that. In addition to endpoint detection and ensuring alerting effectiveness, uh, group policies, uh, since this is Windows-specific, Group policies and other methods of preventing USB-based attacks. Uh, some places even have, uh, they even physically block USB ports and workstations. Uh, same with uh, group policies or local policies on running untrusted or unsigned processes or obfuscated scripts. But of course, there's a usability price to each of those steps. It's always going to inconvenience someone. And navigating that tension is never simple. Mm, yes, indeed. Well, Ian, thank you for your analysis here. Um, and, and don't worry, I don't think you're clopped liver, okay? But I am going to start with Daniel first here to do our hoodie ratings, which is that 0 to 10 rating system. 10 is very bad. Um, 0 is more neutral. Uh, it's playing off the, the hacker in a hoodie. How many defenders does it take to solve a problem? And so here we go. Daniel, you're up first. What would you rate this at? Hmm. So I would say this isn't something terribly net new. Now, the wormability, uh, even though it requires some uh, you know, manual uh, intervention with like a USB drive or something, is probably making this a little bit more efficient. But in general terms, ransomware, unfortunately, is here to stay. Yeah, Windows still has north of 80% market penetration, especially in business. Uh, so it remains a juicy target, although the Mac uh, OS is seeing an increased targeting just because it's becoming more popular. So the bad guys are always going to go for the low-hanging fruit. And in this particular case, I would say I'd give this about a three full hoodies and a couple of sleeves because I think... A successful ransomware attack can be very disruptive, and especially if it can spread laterally like this one across the network and, and shares, uh, it could be getting really bad real fast. So a three and a half for me. Three and a half. And how would you describe the half of the hoodie that remains here? Um, Ooh, the, this this needs to be Halloween. With the hood is sort of the you know bro version of the hoodie. So. The bro version of the... I feel like today's hoodies, any kind of 
half or a non non integer hoodie needs to be described in in some sort of Halloweeny form. You know, to stay true to our, our creepy theme here. Um, perhaps it's like a a hoodie and a cape, as an example. Okay, or a disembodied hoodie. <laughs> we went there. We went dark. <laughs> All right, uh, three full hoodies and a disembodied half hoodie here. Uh, what would you say, Ian? Would you agree with that rating? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go a little higher than Daniel's three and a half hoodies. Uh, not in a technical sense, but in an organizational one. Because if uh, criminal organizations are um, really perfecting their partnerships and their, um, frankly, their revenue channels, it's, it's a bigger concern than just the technical chops. So I'm going to go with five hoodies for this. Five hoodies. Are you sure you weren't just trying to get out of a, the, hood, uh, the Halloween hoodie reference? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go full integer. I'm not messing with that. Jabba the hoodie would like a word. Jabba the hoodie? <laughs> oh, did you all see, by the way, speaking of hoodies, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was, but I, um, an organization put out kind of like a, a, a fake, like a, a joke apology about a, um, uh, <laughs> a hooder in or a hacker in a hoodie in one of their blog posts as an image yes do you know what I i'm talking that about was malware bites malware bites yes yeah, saying like this is against our company policy to use any hacker imagery including uh <laughs> the chains over the keyboards the hoodies with the gloves and they just they just went for it it was it was hilarious I'm assuming that was a joke, if I'm reading that correctly. I, I took it as a joke, too, but that's also my, my preferred aesthetic since I'm kind of a stereotype, so <laughs> I'm biased there. You know, Ian, that's how I also choose to live my life, because otherwise, if we can't laugh about it, <laughs> what are we supposed to do? Yeah, absolutely. That's when the depression sets in. <laughs> oh, Gotta have gosh. your fun between the existential crises. Yeah, yeah. That makes the existential crisis is just that more deep. <laughs> all right. Well, while all three of us have an existential crisis, we're going to take a quick break here <laughs> and we'll be right back with more Breaking Badness. Hello there, Breaking Badness listener. Thanks for dropping by and spending a little time with us. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing, Will you consider doing a couple of things? One of them is tell a friend about Breaking Badness. Maybe if they're in the security game, or even if they're not, but they think what you do is awfully interesting, well, maybe they'll think Breaking Badness is too. So uh, share us with a friend or two. And if you don't mind, we'd love to have you drop us a review and a rating as well on your favorite podcast platform. So thank you so much from all of us at Breaking Badness. And now let's get back to the show. Was the existential hold music playing for everybody, or uh, was that just here? <laughs> what does existential hold music sound like in your head? I'm curious. Oh, it's very terrible. <laughs> Mine's the dun 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 dun. That's what. I think for that's... me, it's like the flight of the Valkyries all the time. Dun, 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 dun. 
See, for me, it's yakety sax. It's the Benny Hill theme with everybody just running around ineffectively. <laughs> Probably the most accurate of, uh, of little tunes to hear in your head during that feeling. Um, <laughs> if you want to add us with your, um, your crisis mental song, please do. Um, <laughs> we're here for you listeners. <laughs> we're all in this together. All right, well, let's go to our next article, which is here we Twilio again. So cloud communications company Twilio discovered a new data breach stemming from a June 2022 security incident where the same attackers behind the August hack access some customers' information. So Daniel, in the spirit of Halloween and someone pretending to be something they're not, we're going to talk about voice phishing. One of the scarier tricks out there. Yeah, so everything that's old is new again, but uh, this is definitely something we talked about uh, in an earlier episode um, about uh, the Twilio uh, hack in August. And so this one disclosed is technically the second uh, compromise. However, it predates the one from August. This one is supposed to have taken place on June 29th. And once again, used social engineering, but this uh, particular one uh, was leveraging voice phishing, where effectively somebody calls up uh, a, the person that they're targeting and are using social engineering techniques to convince the person on the other end to either do something or uh, give up their credentials, which what supposedly happened in this case. So this might be somebody from you know, the IT help desk uh, calling a key employee that they previously scoped out and know has the access that they need and uh, convincing them usually with uh, some time pressure and you know it's kind of hectic and hey can you help me out I don't want to get fired I really just need your password to fix something uh, and then convincing the person on the other end if you make it believable enough and everybody kind of wants to help their co-workers out um, it can be a fairly uh, su uh, successful way of, of getting credentials or other access uh, just by making a phone call oh my gosh that's that's pretty crazy. Um, Would you say the plop is coming from inside the house? Oh, my God. <laughs> it most definitely could be. Oh, my gosh. I was actually thinking in the back of my mind when you were talking there, Daniel, it'd be really funny to start a like um, security training where you know you attempt to fish your employees, but where they discover most likely that that's that's the the club is calling from inside the house from the internal security team is when rather than fishing for credentials or something along those lines we fish for compliments <laughs> and that could be the name of our of our training fishing for compliments nice. um and i think we could do quite well um <laughs> so i mean how would you you know would you mind recapping i guess what happened here um in the, or comparing, I guess I should say, what happened in August to what happened more recently this past week. Is there anything that's important to highlight there? Well, so there's similar um, attacks with the same end goal. Uh, they just use different methodologies. So back in August, um, it was uh, SMS phishing, where uh, Twilio employees were sent convincing uh 
text messages to their phones to uh, get them to uh, open up a fake uh, login portal where they needed to reset their Twilio credentials. You know, it involved uh, URLs like twilio-sso.com. So that's you know fairly convincing if you can actually register that and then you know build a fake login page that resembles the real one and people are busy and want to act fast. Uh, it's definitely uh, fairly effective. So what they did back then is once they leveraged and uh, the credentials of a Twilio employee, they got into the system, and uh, Twilio is a, a SMS delivery company, no less. Uh, as one of their service offerings. So when you sign up for a new account, for example, and you need to confirm your phone number, there's a backend API that uh, a business can leverage into Twilio that then sends a text message on behalf of the a company that wants to verify your account, uh, and you can sort of interact with it, with it like that. It's a lot easier to outsource something like that rather than building your own. Uh, the problem is that once you gain access to the backend, you can say, send fake um, verification texts that appear to come from Twilio in this particular case. And with the August hack, there was a whole bunch of uh, customers ended up being targeted, but one of the big ones was the Signal uh, messenger app, encrypted messenger app, um, when you try to move uh, your Signal account between devices, you have to do an SMS verification as one of the options. And so they tried to, the the uh, adversaries tried to re-register people's Signal accounts to a device that they controlled, uh, which at that point uh, would allow them to impersonate uh, the real owner of that account. So it can be you know quite uh, uh, far-reaching depending uh, how that's going. So that's that's what they did in August. Now, the June one, uh, instead of SMS phishing, used voice phishing, probably because um, that's what they tried first, but it's actually harder to do convincingly. So uh, a month and a half later, they switched uh, to SMS because that's uh, more easily done at scale. And uh, if you, you know, format it properly, chances are you're going to have a, a better result on that. Hmm. With the upcoming, you know, recession we all keep talking about, if voice actors are out of work, the, the impressionists, <laughs> this might become more of a problem. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Okay, so it sounds like just from a productivity perspective or their, their conversion rate, I guess we'll call it, that the SMS schmishing, if you will, um, is a little bit more effective there. So that's that's interesting. Uh, so what I mean, what is Twilio saying about this? I mean, this has been a rough go for them. It has been, and the fact that they're disclosing a second incident that actually predates the first one—that's never ideal. Um, I also uh, read uh, that as part of this uh, investigation, they also uh, released a small addendum to the uh, uh, August 7th disclosure. They're like, oh, and by the way, the intruders were actually on our systems for two more days longer than we thought previously. So when they disclosed on August 7th, the bad guys were still in the system. They didn't kick him out until August 9th. So you know, good for them for admitting it, but that's certainly you know not something you necessarily want to have to uh, uh, disclose but if it happened, then you're better off doing that. Uh, I would say, in general, Twilio has done a decent job disclosing this, but this is also kind of a bit of a plug for incident response and how to handle an investigation, because haste makes waste, and sometimes in the rush to get the information out there, you actually miss things, and then you have to go back and correct them, which is not always ideal. 
Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting to know. Yeah. I'm sure like Ian, you mentioned earlier, no one is perfect. Um, but it, it is super critical to get to be as transparent as early as possible, obviously. So I'd be curious to keep an eye on if that communication changes. And I mean, has there, I mean, has there been any proactive communication about getting ahead of future attacks or do you think they're just kind of in fight or flight mode at the moment? Well, uh, so they're taking some steps uh, internally, and because it's employees that are being targeted, there you know it's very little that they can necessarily message publicly as far as this goes. However, I think the the biggest uh, point to improve here is training. You got to train your employees. You got to set the expectation that nobody will ever call you. Uh, and ask for your password. Don't give out your password over the phone, no matter what the other person on the other end says. Um, that's something that definitely needs to be reinforced. Uh, similarly, with if you can set the expectation that you know IT or security of the company will never send you a text message to try to update your uh, password or something, then if that expectation can be set, then any incoming fish or any incoming attempt that tries to get you to tap on a uh, on a URL should immediately be like, oh no, we don't do that. Delete. Um, now. This is also part of the problem where a lot of uh, solutions that uh, allow user configurable second factor, so after you enter your password, you got to do one more thing, still use SMS, which I've been an opponent of for many years because it is not secure. It can be intercepted uh, and uh, all sorts of shenanigans can happen. So if you in an environment where you routinely do set SMS messages to get your legitimate users to do something, that's a problem. Uh, so getting away from that and setting the expectations that that would not um, ever be done legitimately could help with the training. The other thing that Twilio has announced is that they're going to start issuing uh, hardware authentication tokens, like FIDO2 tokens, uh, which is an um, uh, open standard for integrating authentication uh, with like web browsers and operating systems. And without having the physical token, even if I compromise your password, I would have a hard time accessing the, uh, the account. So that can help, but there's, of course, a huge amount of overhead involved with that, buying them, configuring them, shipping them out, training people. Uh, that's, that's a lot of work. This episode of Breaking Badness brought to you by Fishing for Compliments, a new security awareness building company. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Fresh as a trademark. <laughs> well, yep. Um, Don't you mean copyright? <laughs> if you don't copyright copyright, I'm going to be devastated. Yet, <laughs> I have to say. That would hurt my soul. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so as we've been discussing, this attack used voice phishing, where a hacker likes to, you know, impersonate a company's IT department. What what should an employee do to protect themselves against something like this? And Daniel, you just mentioned a lot of important things like level setting at a company, an organization, where never to call and ask for your password, you know to provide that awareness. Is there anything else that listeners can think about to share um, or to think about for themselves or potentially other folks um, on their team, loved ones, et cetera? Yeah, that's, there's, there's a few other things, uh, you know, the, the, 
attacker has to have a phone number to contact you. If you never answer your phone, then you can't be fished. Well, just kidding. Some <laughs> jobs required to actually answer the phone, but making it more difficult for uh, outsiders that don't necessarily need to call internal people to figure out those phone numbers, but that's a tall order. Um, there's also, depending on who your phone provider is, the possibility of of uh, you know blocking some well-known VoIP numbers incoming that are frequently used for phishing. That's potentially an option, but it's also kind of uh, piecemeal. Really, in my mind, uh, end-user training and making them aware that this isn't happening is probably your best option because the next thing is now with, with deepfake voice being fairly commercially accessible, you could conceivably uh, impersonate the voice of a, you know, the CEO of the company or somebody else, and then you get a phone call from that person, which is really a bad guy, just typing into a keyboard and having text to speak uh, uh, impersonated pretty well. What do you do then? So that's really where setting the general expectation that no, people aren't going to call you to ask you for things is the best option, but I realize that's not always possible. The... <laughs> The the joke advice there, Daniel, with like, if you don't answer your phone, no problem, makes me think of the Onion article I read a while back when it's like, how to save money on your wedding. And I was like, when considering hiring a DJ, don't. <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, that's applicable. I feel like there's another uh, Onion article along those lines where like... Uh, millennial disturbed by uh, noise that his handheld computer makes. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the the millennials will love this security advice. Um, I, I already answer my phone as little as possible. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a little bit there. If there's a way where I can schedule something, find out some bit of information... I'll pretty much do everything I can not to speak to a human person. <laughs> I'm like a, a a poorly, I'm like a feral dog at this point. I have like no social skills anymore. I'm not like talking to people on the phone. Post COVID, I'm I'm feral. I'm not talking to people in person. <laughs> There's just no talking. Oh, yeah. There's I, just the existential I, dread. <laughs> I I am not fit for uh, public consumption at this point. I. <laughs> I, I was getting a little better, a little more polished around 2019, and that's all reverted. <laughs> you know, we are the beautiful nature's version of our, our rock selves that has not been broken down by the world. That's how I'm going to choose to look at what you just said, Ian, for, <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> oh, it's a feature, not a bug. That's right. Feature, not a bug. This has been a therapy episode, I think, for all of us. I think we're all kind of working through some stuff. This is great. It can't hurt. <laughs> All right. Well, Ian, thanks to to Daniel's helpful contextualizing there and just bringing us back to, to what happened in August and giving us some context. You know, what would you rate this at in terms of, of badness with the hoodie rating? I'm kind of unimpressed. I'm going to go like 2.5. I think um, uh, Twilio's playing catch up on stuff that they could have done previously to uh, to prevent this, and it's not particularly sophisticated. It's not easily spreadable or wormable. So, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of unimpressed. 
I think that should be something we include on the show notes. We should have like our emotions cards and there should be like an unimpressed photo we have of each of us and we can put our emotional response to each of these articles on our show notes so people can just go look at the picture and be like, okay, I know how to feel. Michaela Maroney is not impressed. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Daniel, what about for yourself here? Yeah, to me, uh, I'm with Ian. This is kind of yawn. And also the fact that it happened before kind of lumps it in together because they were after the same thing. Um, I'm going to give it two hoodies just so I don't have to be in another gory description of a dismembered. Gory or Gordy? (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny. We, so we don't, we don't have any children and um, we live in this neighborhood that's infested with kids in a great way. Um, And everybody here has these blow ups, Halloween decorations. Are those I've never seen them in the Northwest, but in the Midwest, they're rampant. Do either of you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. They've started to make an appearance around here, but it it gets pretty windy, especially Mm. around this time of year. So Mm. I think your mileage may vary. You might find it in your neighbor's yard the next day. (laughs) Everyone just buys a blow up and then shifts to the right, you know, or to the left, depending on the way that the wind blows. So everybody, it's like musical blow ups for Halloween. Well, it always cracks me up because, you know, a lot of people get super into it, you know, when they have kids and whatnot, or they just like it. You know, you don't need to have kids to enjoy Halloween. And um, we just bought a few gourds and our neighbors were like, are you planning to to decorate? And I was like, we have gourds. And they just laughed in my face. (laughs) It's not decorating. (laughs) So we bought more gourds. It was our compromise. Anyway, um, the things you think about as an adult person these days. Just sort of carving your own path out in that neighborhood. (laughs) Getting straight to the guts. I told them, I wouldn't say boo about it, all right? (laughs) Uh, Uh, Are you Halloween people, Daniel and Ian? I am a go big or go home Halloween person. If uh, I commit to a costume, I've been known to go all out um but if nothing inspires me then i'm also okay sitting out a year i mean the kids want to go trick-or-treating and that's of course we'll support that but whether i dress up to go out and do that depends if i'm feeling inspired that year and what kind of level of costume i can put together what is your favorite costume you've ever had oh sorry go ahead ian you go first um uh, i was just gonna say halloween is very much my favorite uh uh holiday of the year, um, both sort of from a, a psychosocial perspective, because you've got everybody displaying their collective and individual unconscious, and the fact that I'm a sugar addict and I love candy. So it, it all just kind of fits together. <laughs> See, to I me, Halloween that. was never about candy. Now, it's an, an adopted holiday for me, of course, although in Germany, we had something somewhat similar, just on a smaller scale. But... Um, yeah, the, the candy is secondary for me. I'm a bit of a candy snob, so most American candy is just, uh, you know. You like the German chocolate. Uh, yeah, it's a German chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Deutsche Schokolade. <laughs> I will admit, German chocolate is, is much better than the disturbing wax-like substance that we sometimes serve here in the States. Lies. Give me Hershey any day. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're not going to allow me into the state of Pennsylvania, which is unfortunate because I'm quite close. Um, so I should probably <laughs> keep that opinion to myself. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, do either of you have like your favorite all time costume that you've worn that you would like to share with the class? Well, I may or may not own a movie-accurate replica stormtrooper uh, <gasps> uniform, so that's a, that's a regular favorite. It doesn't come out every year because that gets boring, but you know, every couple of years or so, it's, uh, it's very interesting the reaction that people have when you <laughs> walk down the street, even though around Halloween, uh, wearing that. And kids can go usually one or two way. Either they're like, yay, or they're like, ah. <laughs> Now, is that dry clean only or? Yeah, it's like uh, scrub with a brush, uh, with a sponge clean only. <laughs> See, the, the funny part about that is I hear Daniel commits to the bit. And if you ever go to the range with him, his aim is on par with that costume, too. Ooh. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted. Do you, never mind. <laughs> I have follow up questions. <laughs> it's a different podcast. <laughs> All right, Ian, how about you? It's been a while since I've actually dressed up or had a reason to dress up or leave the house. But um, <laughs> there there was a time back, oh, we're going back almost 20 years now, that I had just started uh, working as a civilian at a police department. And uh, Halloween's always been my favorite holiday, so I was psyched and uh, people were talking about dressing up and coming to work. And a bunch of people committed to it. And I was the only one that dressed up. And then the next year came around. And everybody was excited and everybody was talking about dressing up. And for the second year in a row, I was the only person that dressed up. So I do most of my costuming in my head these days. <laughs> I can appreciate that. That To be burned in that way is so frustrating. It's like, I thought we were all in this together. I thought we had an understanding. <laughs> um, uh, and another note, maybe that would be a really fun costume. To, like dress up would be like a salad dressing. You know, is there something there? Like a hearty Italian salad dressing. Ranch. Ranch. Mm. Ranch would be good. But they already have like the, the ketchup costume, kind of like the banana peel costume. You know, they should have a ranch costume. I'm sure if I I'm sure if I found that, I could find that on the Amazon, I think. If mostly if you dress up as Caesars, do you have a bunch of knives in your back? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And I'll just walk around going, Are you not entertained? You know, just wrap it all in, all the references. Oh my gosh. Well I I I'm gonna be Googling ranch costumes on Amazon. Um, here in our quick break, if if you two have any costume preferences you want to dig into, don't hesitate. Same to you listeners. And we'll be right back for Two Truths and a Lie here on Breaking Badness. Right. It's time to play a game. Would you like to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie? I can't do the creepy voice as well as I'd like to. 
It's time. All right. All right. Just a quick reminder to our listeners, not dissimilar from the game, to Tristan and I, you grew, you grew up playing with your, your buddies to pass the time. Uh, but instead of talking about ourselves, instead of talking about ourselves, uh, we're actually going to share three byline article titles, two of which actually happened, one of which did not. And so I believe Ian is going to share those today, and Daniel and myself are going to try to guess, which is the lie. I am, I am. Let's see if uh, let's see if I can pull one over on you. Granted, uh, I already pulled one over on Daniel by getting him to hire me, so this should be easy. Oh, stop it! We pulled it over on you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number one: new data wiper malware tries to frame bleeping computer, the website, and security experts in its ransom note. Number two, NVIDIA RTX 4090 cards melting more globally than the ice caps. Again, NVIDIA RTX 4090 cards melting more globally than the ice caps. Number three, critical open SSH vulnerability release due November 1st. Again, critical Open SSH vulnerability release due November 1st. What do you got for me? Oh. Hmm. I have my suspicions. Uh, I'm ready to take a guess, but Daniel, if, if you want to talk through anything first, I don't want to bias your thought process. Hmm. Yeah, so I I did read about one of them, so I know that's uh, uh, accurate. I'm not going to tell you which, um, but the Nvidia one. I read about issues with those cards having heat and potential melting issues, but more than the global ice caps. That would be super sad if that was true. But also, uh, um, I don't know that that I'm gonna go with that one. That feels like a real article with a slightly tweaked headline. I'm gonna double down on that. I I would tend to agree. I'm gonna say the second one is the lie. I'm with Daniel. So unfortunately, I pulled a fast one on both of you. <gasps> it 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 was a it was cheap of me, and I'll admit that. But the vulnerability release coming out tomorrow is an open SSL vulnerability rather than open SSH. Oh, I totally <gasps> didn't catch that, or Jack I probably Hughes. would have locked onto that. Nice. Wow. Good job. Wow, 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 wow. The devil is in the details. Well done, Ian. Excellent. Thank Excellent you. work. Thank you. I feel uh, rather accomplished. That, that was my mask. That was my costume uh, this Halloween Ooh. was the lie. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh my god. We would have gotten away from it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> oh, I'm over here scratching my head. You got us good. Wow. Well played. Well played, Ian. I might say you social engineered us because, you know, in the biz, we knew it was open SSL and so we're sneaking just a slightly few letter different letters in there. Nice job. You got us, EM. It, it's the, uh, the headline equivalent of wearing that bright yellow worker vest. Oh, Go in wherever you want. 
Oh, jeez. Man, well, thank you both. This was really fun. I love hearing about everybody's Halloween traditions and level of enjoyment. So thank you, too, for sharing that. That was a lot of fun. You bet. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. What a treat, not a trick, you two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. I hope you had a safe Halloween. Um, wishing you the best. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Breaking Bad. This Ian. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. We loved having you. Thanks so much. A goodbye now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.